Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Don't you kind of wish that instead of accidentally mixing the wrong ingredients together, making 15 million vaccines unusable, that they at least accidentally added something like spider DNA that would give us superpowers or something? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you're just freely handing out ideas for Marvel Universe now. You should be patenting that. I know. I mean, I love the idea of imagining that I get a shot, come home, maybe have a few side effects, and then realize... I can shoot a web out of my hand. Fly! <laughs> go, web, go! Maybe maybe try swinging from the top of my building, which, if the first Spider-Man is any indication, probably wouldn't go too well. <laughs> that could actually cause us even more trouble, to be honest, with the reopening of the economy and everything. We've got people figuring this out. Maybe it isn't a good idea. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is your friendly neighborhood, Politico Dispatch. And today... Up, up, and away, Lip! Shazam! That'll be my fatal final words. (laughs) Sarah Overmall on how the heck a vaccine plant accidentally ruined millions of shots and what the situation tells us about potential problems down the line in our pandemic response. What's interesting is that before this past year, the vaccine world was kind of a like quiet and humdrum space. Uh, <laughs> you had three big vaccine manufacturers, GlaxoSmithKline, Pfizer, and Merck, mm-hmm. who were responsible for a lot of the vaccines that we already had some level of awareness about, like, say, the HPV vaccine or flu vaccines. Uh So they would be producing those with their own facilities and oftentimes would have a pretty steady flow of how many they knew they needed to make that year, what population was getting it, et cetera. All that got thrown out the window during 2020, and that's why we're seeing more of this thing called contract manufacturing, which already was happening, uh, especially when companies are smaller and need to build up quickly. But now it's more prevalent than ever because you've got companies that were not necessarily vaccine makers before, like Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca, and then companies that have never mass manufactured before, like Moderna. And so that's when they bring in these contract manufacturers who have the capabilities of making these types of substances or of filling vials with the substances and finishing them to get packaged and be used. And those are things like emergent or like catalant. And what is really important there is it allows them to mass manufacture quickly. The problem is that there's not very many of them that have the capabilities to make vaccine substance. And so that's why you have several manufacturers going to the very same factories to do this. So last week, we learned that one of those contract factories that did have multiple vaccine makers coming to them had this big mishap that was first reported on by the New York Times. Emergent, which is in Maryland, accidentally ruined 15 million coronavirus vaccines at their plant. What exactly happened there? They signed contracts with both Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca to supply each of those manufacturers with millions of doses of their vaccines. So before all this happened, Emergent was boasting that they were going to be able to produce 1 billion doses this year. That was going to go a very long way towards hitting U.S. goals, but also towards hitting goals for other countries that are expecting 
some doses out of these manufacturers, especially, say, AstraZeneca, which has been providing a lot to other countries. But what happened is that somehow on the manufacturing lines, they figured out when testing this batch that the active ingredients for Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca's vaccines had gotten mixed up in a batch of J&J doses. Wow. So those doses were ruined. It's roughly 15 million doses, mm -hmm. and they have to destroy those. Um, obviously, it's a blow because every single dose counts, and J&J &J has been lagging a bit on getting to its goals, though it did hit its 20 million dose goal in March, there was concern that they wouldn't be able to. So this is alarming people for a few reasons. There's been some mounting questions about whether Emergent is going to be able to produce all of these, whether they have the right amount of oversight there to be trusted on this. And then also the ripple effect that has because AstraZeneca now has to leave that facility and find another partner. Is this something that happened as a result of working too fast? I mean, like just hearing the way that this went down, you know, accidentally mixing two things that shouldn't be mixed together. It, it sounds like something, you know, I'd accidentally do if I were like working too fast in, in, in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, like, is this because the U.S. has been moving so quickly with vaccines? I mean, we have produced and approved vaccines for coronavirus at record speed here. Is that the reason that we accidentally had 15 million of them destroyed? That's what some people are saying, um, vaccine experts or even some current and former officials are saying. It was almost expected that something like this was going to happen at some point, that we were going to have some sort of mix-up. They also say that contaminated doses of vaccines or other medicines do happen when people are producing at factories whether it's in the coronavirus or other times, and that's why you do these batch checks. So it's a combination of this does happen, but also we are in an unprecedented record-breaking pace of production right now, and two vaccines for different companies are being produced at the same facility, which is pretty novel in and of itself. That's an unusual thing to go to your, you know, rushing around the kitchen analogy. That's like baking a cake and the entree for dinner at the same time, and then you mix up the salt and sugar. Yeah. Like, it's just a weird... Why would you bake your cake and your entree at the same time? <laughs> um, except these are both vaccines. Uh, and so, you know, I think there are concerns now about, in general, producing two vaccines at one plant. But then people are saying, really, this could have been avoided if there was more oversight from those individual companies over the emergent plant. I want to talk about the ramifications of this with Johnson & Johnson. It's one of the three vaccines that it's approved for use in the U.S. The U.S. is currently ramping up its vaccine availability. President Biden announced this week that we have a new goal of making vaccines available to all adults this month on April 19th. Does this pose a barrier to that? The Biden administration will tell you, no, it doesn't, because the doses that were being produced at Emergent weren't authorized for use yet. So they hadn't gotten the FDA clearance to send those doses out. Also, J&J isn't contributing as much to that summer goal as Pfizer and Moderna are. But I think it is fair to say that there are concerns about this because obviously Emergent was factored into J&J's production plans. And now we know that Johnson & Johnson has been sending its own people into that facility to try and put things right. So obviously they do want this to have FDA clearance and Emergent does have millions of doses of their vaccine that can still possibly be used and probably are factored into Johnson & Johnson's plans. 
What do you think this whole saga tells us about the way the U.S. is handling vaccination production and some of the, I don't know, not so exciting, but super important parts of fighting the virus? Um, Like, you know, I didn't even know initially that there were these contract manufacturing plants, but this seems to be a huge part of, of getting these things out the door and into people's arms. Like, what does this whole mix up and the fallout from it tell us about the vulnerabilities that exist in our systems in the U.S.? Well, it tells us that we don't have a ton of capacity to even be making these things. And we know that because people have argued that the only reason companies like Johnson & Johnson turned to emergent is because practically every other facility that was capable of making what they needed, this vaccine substance, was taken up by other companies. Going back to the idea that there were always these three big manufacturers in the vaccine space, Pfizer, Merck, and GSK, all three of those were originally in the vaccine race too. So they weren't going to help out others. Hmm. They had their own plans. They were going to do their own thing. Now Merck and GSK have fallen out of the race and they have signed up to help others. So we do have more uh, partners and more factories than we did at this time last year, for sure. But this is still going to be a bandwidth issue, especially when we get to the possibility that these manufacturers are going to want to make boosters and variant targeting vaccines. You can't just throw up another production line next to your original vaccine. At some point, you have to find yet another plant or stop production of the original vaccine to turn to the new one. And that's also going to be potentially a bottleneck on resources. Sarah Overmall, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks as always for having me. Also today, the Virginia legislature is speeding up its timeline for marijuana legalization to July 1st instead of January 2024. In a historic vote in February, Virginia became the first state in the Old South to pass a marijuana legalization bill. And yesterday, at the request of Governor Ralph Northam, lawmakers voted to change the rules so that personal possession and home cultivation would be legal starting in July. Under the changes, marijuana sales still wouldn't start until 2024, giving the government time to set up a cannabis regulatory agency to oversee the new industry. And a staff member who alleges New York Governor Andrew Cuomo groped her inside the governor's mansion in November tells the Albany Times Union that Cuomo groomed her over time and later urged her to stay silent about their interactions. Speaking anonymously, the aide told the newspaper in a lengthy and detailed interview that the exchange came after Lindsay Boylan, a former Cuomo administration staffer, alleged in December that the governor had sexually harassed her for years. The governor's office did not respond to a request for comment. An outside attorney representing Cuomo said the governor, quote, has repeatedly made clear that he never made inappropriate advances or inappropriately touched anyone. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And to stay up on Sarah Overmall's latest reporting on the pandemic, sign up for the Politico Pulse newsletter at politico.com slash newsletters. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.